Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Amanda Apesos, and she talks to us about how horses have impacted her life, why she became a chiropractor, her journey with Ben's Bit Butter, and her struggles in the 2017 fires when both her and her horse had to evacuate. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Fabco. Fabco offers beauty treatments to enhance your natural beauty in a non-invasive way. Whether you have wrinkles, sunspots, skin tags, stretch marks, loose skin, or acne, Fabco can help you out. There is no downtime, which is great for the active equestrian lifestyle. Fabco is located in Ronard Park, California. Visit www.phabco.org to learn more. Stable Connections is sponsored by Change Your Lead. Change Your Lead is made up of a group of licensed clinicians and equine professionals who incorporate horses into mental health treatment and wellness offerings. They currently provide adjunct psychotherapy services to agencies in the greater Bay Area that want to add an equine component to their existing mental health services. In addition, they facilitate workshops and mini wellness retreats for those looking to take time for themselves in the presence of horses. Please visit changeyourlead.com to learn more. So we're here to get to know you. So how have horses influenced your life? Horses have been my life. I always knew that I was a horse person. You know, I was that little girl that begged my parents for years and then finally got to go to the barn, and then that was the end of that. It was the center of my life pretty much for the past 35 years. Have you always been in California? No, I started back in the East Coast, and I've really transitioned through all disciplines, some of which I would not go back to and some of which I absolutely have adored and have been really formative. I started in saddlebreds, national show horses, breed shows, Morgans, the Arabian breed shows, that whole thing. Learned a lot. It was a great foundation, but I really traversed the horse world and uh, had a very difficult saddlebred Mustang cross that they couldn't get a halter on. And I was like, I'll take him. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you at the time? I think I was 18. He was just a project horse. I was going to bring him on as a rescue and honestly my intention was to flip him to help pay college tuition i was really quite good at that as like taking a horse that needed a little help giving them some more skills and then finding them a better home than they otherwise would have been able to some people call it flipping horses some people call it rescuing horses for me it was just a passion project just to help horses like have a better life and i started doing that when i was 13. 13 wow Mm -hmm. i bought my horse at 13. first horse at 13 i had to hitch rides to the barn. Yeah, I bought him for $300 and sold him for 7000 in 10 months as a 14-year-old. And everybody was like, oh, you're buying and selling horses and you don't have a driver's license. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's a big difference, especially in less than a year. Yeah, just picking the right horses that need a better situation was the foundation of me being in the horse world. But this one particular horse, oh, he was beyond my ability to turn him around. He was a saddlebred Kiger Mustang cross from out of Oregon. And um, I needed help. I totally needed help. He stumped me. And I went to this guy named Ray Hunt 
And I had been in all the breed show world. This guy, Ray Hunt, and some of his students were doing a clinic, and I knew he was good with a difficult horse, and this horse humbled me enough that I started asking for more help. You didn't ask for help before? Was it hard for you to actually get to that place? It was, because before I was always trained, you know? Like, I've been top ten in all the equitation finals and ran the A circuit with a bunch of horses and thought I was quite skilled, and I had learned a lot of riding technique. But then I ran into this one horse. When I asked Ray Hunt for help, I realized that, like, I needed to understand more of the horse's heart and the horse's brain and where they were at in their emotional state. And maybe yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's more the journey with Ray Hunt and even Tom Dorrance and all of those guys is we like to project onto the horse, but a lot of times it's also ourselves, too. Yeah, I had been quite good at winning in the show ring, but yeah, what they really taught me was to start to settle down and work on myself and figure out where I was at and what I was missing in perceiving where the horse was at. And that was just started a healing journey with the horses. It was a huge transition point. Well, and 18 is pretty young for that. You said you got that horse at 18? Yeah. And so did you end up going to college? Intermittently between training horses. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Was your plan to be a horse trainer? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was in Colorado. I had a, you know, barn with twenty full-time clients, ten lesson horses, grooms, managers, the whole thing. It was going well from the outside. Hmm. Um, it sounds like the inside, but, not so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I was starting to lose passion for it, and it was becoming work. So I had a client, they had racehorses at the Santa Anita track and they needed exercise riders. And I was young and way more courageous than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I went to this racehorse trainer down at the Santa Anita track and I was going to ride the horses one day a week, even though it was super fit. I was heavy for a jockey. Mm. Well, yeah, jockeys um, have to be like half a person. Yeah, yeah, they need to be at least, I think it was like 90 pounds or under, and I was at 105 or 110, so I would be considered a very heavy rider for the horse. And there was a horse chiropractor working on the horses in this guy's barn, and I was like, what, what's that guy doing? And like, yeah, he makes the horses run faster. It's this thing <laughs> called chiropractic. He makes them run faster, and you were early 20s at this time, mm-hmm. sounds like. When you left to go work at the racetrack down in SoCal is where that is, I think. Yeah, it's down in L.A. Yeah. Did the training program that you had close? No, I was just out there for a short period of time. And this wasn't going to be a new career. It was just kind of like a, you know, go check out something new and make this client happy Mm -hmm. sort of trip. Literally, I saw this chiropractor working on horses and I just, it took me like less than a second to know like oh I want to do that and I want to do that very well. What was appealing about it? It's a way to access the horse's body and create the physical release that they need to start to feel differently and when a horse is comfortable in its own body it starts to behave differently, react differently. It starts to react with understanding and ease Mm -hmm. instead of pain and tension. And I just realized instantaneously, I was like, wow, in my training barn, I can work with these, you know, 15 to 30 horses that are here on the farm. But as a chiropractor, my herd can be much larger that I can tend to and take care of and, and help. And I can help other people with their training barns. 
by helping their horses move better and become more comfortable and find that release in their bodies they need to be truly healthy, you know, which then affects the horse and rider relationship and it, you know, it trickles out from there. So literally took one second and I was like, oh, I want to do that and I want to do it very well. Being a dressage rider and a, a, a equestrian, we don't just like to sometimes do something. I like to do it very well. And all the way. <laughs> so what was step one with that? Go back to school. Go back to school. Okay. Yeah. And not intermittently between training horses, but actually go to school and get the grades I needed in the classes I was supposed to take and make it all the way through. And it, it made me go back and do that so that I could reach this goal of being a horse chiropractor. And so what school did you go to? I went to a school in LA so that I could also ride some hunters after school and on the weekends for somebody there. Yep, makes sense. <laughs> but uh, what's been really incredible is that as a horse chiropractor, it's taken me all over the horse world. You know, I've been able to work. I'm a part of barns with polo horses, top jumpers, people's backyard pasture, friends worked with some barrel racers and they actually have let me set up on some nice barrel horses and learn what that's like you know all the dressage people that regularly use chiropractic I've learned so much from endurance horses I mean it, it really just took the experience I had in a few disciplines in the in the horse world and it just expanded that exponentially and I hope as a horse chiropractor that I have helped people in the horse world as much as they have helped me. Just being able to travel and meet different people from different parts of the horse world and get that exposure and uh, learn from them has really enriched my life in a way that's defined it. So when you say, how did you get your start in the horse world? It's been my start in developing myself personally as a human, growing deeper, learning finding my spot in the world. It's really fostered me as a human to be a horse person. Yeah, I think essentially that's what we all seek. I wanted to go back to the time that you spent with Ray Hunt and that specific uh, horse that was really kind of complicated. Mm -hmm. What did you learn the most from his <laughs> lessons or clinics or whatever you attended? Oh, really the training is about relationship and understanding and trust and knowing exactly which bit to use and you know having the the perfect balance in your body and an independent seat and hands like all that is super important also for sure but what's behind it as far as where that person is coming from and who it is they're being in that moment that's really what comes through in riding and all the rest is pretty surface yeah Definitely. And, I, and it changes day to day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can have a day where I'm carrying tension for some reason, you know, like I've been through something traumatic or... Had too I much got, coffee. <laughs> or I got triggered in some way. Yeah. Caffeine load is high at the moment. But what I've come to find out, like I'll go to a dressage show and I used to sit there and just memorize the test and drill and know what I was going to do for every every second. And I learned to, for instance, like get ready for my dressage test by meditating and working on my headspace and think like, where am I coming from in my thought processes? And that will generate a good ride as well as the intensity or depth or detail of which I know the test. Really making that transition into focusing on where we're at as humans and our, our wellness like at all levels. That journey started with the natural horsemanship guys in Rayhunt, and it's really like 
defined and and helped me grow my understanding of like what it is to be a horse person. So when you started your chiropractic journey, what was the hardest thing about that journey? Organic chemistry. Mm. Tell me <laughs> the, more. The schooling. You know, I was good with a horse. I mean, I could break a young horse and a rope halter. You know, any buck a young horse threw out, I could stick. I knew how to talk to clients about horses. But honestly, for me, going back and getting serious about the academics and sitting in those classrooms, like, <laughs> that was the, the rest of the journey was actually quite enriching. That sucked. <laughs> how did you get it? It was really it? hard. I had to clear out some mental cobwebs and learn how to like truly think like quantitatively to be able to do uh, you know the math and analysis and also be able to think more clearly in my problem solving and so it was really quite good for me to clear out all those mental cobwebs but you know for anybody out there who's not academic I feel you and sometimes you just have to learn how to do it and that's you know finding the right fit for you in life and creating situations where you can be successful as a human being and and thrive mm -hmm. right like isn't that part of learning about ourselves and how to be truly human you yeah know? like yeah well and just the intention behind it like you went back to school with a specific intention in mind of chiropractic. Whereas previously, you it sounds like you were kind of going to school to go to school, but we're still kind of drawn to the trainer horse life. Yeah. So, yeah. so what happened after you worked down at the racetrack for a bit? Did you go back to your training program? No, you know, I only ride my own horses now. Um, and it keeps a lot of joy in it for me. I've had a huge herd of people and horses that I've been able to help with the chiropractic and that has brought such breadth to my life. I'm super thankful for it. And the other thing it, it, I really would love to share that it helped me with is the opportunity to be a businesswoman in an industry that is not judgmental of gender. In the horse industry, women are, are treated so equally that sort of being fostered to grow a private practice and businesses in that environment was really nurturing. And I really want to like call out the horse world. I don't know if it's, it's specific in the design or it's just the people that are attracted to being in the horse world that happen to be more open-minded and, and not discriminating. But I just found it was a place where people are treated so equally like the horse doesn't know the difference between your skin color or your age or where you came from all they know is how you are with them in the present moment and i think that trickles through into the way horse people are you know it can it, it really all that matters is like where you're at and how you can connect with the horse in that moment whether it's a reigning horse or an endurance horse or whatever doesn't matter, right? It's more about being present with your horse in the skill set of whatever that way of riding or being with the horse requires. And it, it was such a nurturing place for me, you know, like it came from a kind of a rough family background. So having that has just been the most nurturing place. And I've watched other businesswomen really thrive and grow and develop in the horse world. And it's just a really beautiful thing 
which I got to experience both through training horses when I was younger, as a horse chiropractor, and now I have Ben's Bit Butter, which is this fun side project that I started. And I find the horse industry is just so accepting of somebody trying something new and putting themselves out there, and there's just zero discrimination. And one of the things that sort of created that, helped me understand that, is that I actually also bootstrapped myself into being an executive in the water industry. And the juxtaposition in, of being in big corporate America as a CEO of bootstrapped corporations and realizing when I sat at the discussion tables, I was with type A dominating, like toxic masculine decision-making men. Yeah, it's quite a switch. <laughs> oh my God, it gave me so much appreciation and perspective for the horse industry. Do you feel like you've gained a lot of skills within what you had already accomplished to then deal with those rooms of people? Absolutely. It gave me confidence, a sense of authority, the ability to speak, feeling well as a human so that I could really stand strong when I got into challenging situations where somebody was being discriminating or somebody was wanting to take advantage of me or someone was being extractive in their approach to a negotiation over a resource. And it it did really help me find my grounding and centering, having had these experiences in the horse world, developing myself as a businesswoman. And so I'm super thankful for that. And even still, I'm still working as an executive in the water industry on a new project that's located partially in America, but also flipping over to an international range soon. Yeah, I'm having to communicate and be analytical in meetings with people where, let's face it, they're there to see what they can get out of it. And I have to keep the strategies on track, environmentally sound, and focused on the wellness of these businesses. Yeah, all that was fostered by my experience being a businesswoman in the horse world. Yeah. Uh, Tell me more about your Ben's Bit Butter. So I had closed down one water business and was reopening the next one and I had a gap and I needed to make a holiday gift and I used to do saddle soap I'd mm. like mix up a saddle soap annually and put essential oils in it and give it to all my friends and and clients in the horse world and this year I decided to make a bit butter so this was really only six months ago and I found that it actually worked better than I thought <laughs> And what is the purpose behind it? And what's it made out of? Okay, so it's all organic materials. They're all food grade. It's made out of shea butter, mango butter, and organic vitamin E. And that's it. Like, I wanted something. I tested it on all my bridles before I gave it to anybody to make sure it was okay for the leather. And it doesn't affect the leather and the bridles. And you put it on the corner of the horse's mouth. And you just think we're putting a metal object in the horse's mouth, right? And communicating through that. So what this does is it just creates a soft spot at the corners of the mouth around the bit. And the horses love the way it tastes. So they start to salivate right away and it softens that skin. So it's like putting a chapstick on moisturizer, like you put on your (laughs) face or something. Yeah. Um, Except on the, you know, corners of the horse's mouth. So it's, it's moisturizing, you know, and it, it gets softer there over time. And then it also gives the bit just a little bit of slide in the mouth. So I find my horse just feels like they're already warmed up and on the bit right away, rather mm-hmm. than having to get 
that salivation and, and get the bit softened in there. It's just already soft because you put some bit butter on. So I found that it actually was working better than I even thought. So I made a whole bunch more and started sharing it. And very quickly it ended up in four retail locations, just local here in the Bay Area. And it's also down at Mary's Tack and Feed. So that's my first like larger online retailer. I do have a website, people can buy it through there. It's bensbitbutter.com. And I'm just growing it slowly and incrementally, you know, as letting it organically grow as it wants to. And tell me more about why you named it Ben's Bit Butter. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite question that you've asked yet because <laughs> I get to talk about my horse. <laughs> ben is my horse. He's been with me since he was three years old. He's now 12. So wow, nine years and he is amazing and he's the center of my universe and he was the first horse that I experimented with the bit better on and it, it's really just named as as an honor to him and what a big deal like what a central part of my life he is it was just a logical name for it <laughs> yeah no I think it's a great name it's perfect and yeah. do you have like what are your aspirations or goals aside from just growing it incrementally? Is there like a specific goal in mind? On more of like an etheric level, I'd like people to stop and think as they're bridling their horse about the fact that they're putting a piece of metal in their mouth that is one of the ways we communicate with our horses. It's one of the, the tools that we use to transfer a, a contact between our hands and our bodies and the horse's body. And I think on an energetic level, just creating some softness there and awareness of that, I hope that it, it, it just, in a, in a very minute way, makes people's minds stop and pause as they're bridling their horse and just give a moment to softening that particular part of our connection with them. Yeah, that makes sense. And tell me more about your current riding journey. Yeah, the past 20 years or so, I've been a dressage rider because I love how technical the training is and how specific it is. I definitely bring a lot of natural horsemanship to it, and my horses still work cattle at least a few times a year. I've witnessed that. That's how we met, is at the Chris Ellsworth Clinic. So I've oh. witnessed your horse really enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's brilliant too. He was great with people. Yeah. Yeah, really got people thinking about the cattle as well as the horses. Yeah, that my, that was my horse's first time ever in an arena with cows. And oh, he wow. loved it. Yeah. I knew he would. He's, you know, on trail, he's been kind of fearful of them. Mm-hmm. And so have I, because I don't know what to do if I see cows other than like face them if they come towards us. And so I went to that clinic with the intention of gaining his confidence, gaining my confidence. And that's exactly what we got. That's amazing. It was really fun. So yeah, Yeah, you can really shift their headspace once they realize the horse realizes that they can move the cattle Mm -hmm. and the people too, for that matter, Right. that the cattle will move around the horse Mm -hmm. and from its energy. It can be game changing for the horse's confidence. It's really special. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. And then also when you see them out on trail after that, there's not the fear of the unknown. The horse is like, oh yeah, you know, you might not choose to go and move that cattle, but the horse knows what to do if you did. So there's a, a level of comfort that comes up there. I hope so. I haven't run into cows on a trail yet, but I'm hoping that that is the experience when we do, but we'll see. 
Well, like Ben, when he sees cattle out on trail, he'll just walk towards them if I ask him to. And he's like, oh, cool. Are we working cattle now? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's, it becomes more of like a joyful thing. Mm -hmm. And so you're currently riding dressage. Yeah. So I've been doing dressage for quite some time. I've had a number of trainers. I just clinic out and train my horses myself. I owe infinite gratitude to the people that have helped me in dressage. Akiko Yamazaki let me board there at her personal place for a long time. Anka Herbert's helped me a lot. Francis Verbeek is an O-judge from Holland that was really the first trainer that really taught me like how to access the hind legs and move the horse through their body under the dressage tack. I owe huge gratitude to her. Christine Trorig has taught us a bit and they've just been life-changing training sessions. But then with Ben, the horse that the Bit Butter is named after, I've had so many horses, but he is iconic in my life. With Ben, he had jumped a little bit when he was younger with a jumping trainer, just a cross train, like once a month over small jumps, just for his headspace. And um, we were in a bit of a lull with our dressage. It was just, we had lost some inspiration around it. And um, I thought, well, I'll go jump him. So I asked around and everybody told me to go see this woman, Andrea Pfeiffer. I had just moved up to the North Bay and she was an eventing trainer. So I call her up and I'm like, okay, I just want to trot some X's and see what happens. And I showed up in my full bridle and my white polo wraps <laughs> and my dressage saddle. And I was like, I just want to trot some X's. And she looks at me and she goes, well, would you like a jumping saddle? You could use mine. And she's so warm and guiding in a friendly way. She's really the best mental trainer I have ever experienced. She's so good at putting riders in the right headspace. And she pulled me out of that lull in my riding by introducing me to eventing and it's about eventing but it was more about like this her special sparkle as a trainer for really like understanding where a rider's at and she just helped me immensely so now i'm doing three-day eventing <laughs> have you have you shown yeah we have been to some events we're kind of interesting at the event we win the dressage phase by a mile every time <laughs> and then ah uh, the jumping. Um, is he not fast? He's really fast. In fact, when he was four years old, he gained the nickname Secretariat because he could run from one side of the barn or property to the other with me faster than people could even figure out what was happening. And I'd be on the other side of the farm by the time I just had time to shorten my reins and pray he didn't buck. We're way better than that now. I ride him in a halter and a lead rope, bareback around the property. It was more my gaining confidence and consistency over jumps. So we have been to probably 10 three-day events, but oftentimes we have on cross country specifically, uh, I'll just like forget which jump to go over because I'm. it's a lot of jumps to memorize over a large area. Or Ben, like a couple times he has saved us from falling off what looked like the edge of the Grand Canyon <laughs> but actually was the bank that we were supposed to jump down. Oh God. <laughs> or saved us from falling into the ditch that he was really thought he was doing a good job, but actually we were supposed to jump to the other side of. So, um, Is he pretty brave? 
he's very smart. And if he knows it's something he can go over, it's like no problem. He's super athletic, really smart. He's like, oh, I got this. But if it's something that he has decided that if it were in the wild, you should not go near or to the other side. So we've had a little bit of process in learning how to get around the cross country course and get over the round of stadium jumping. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that it's it sounds like with how much you've moved or career changes or different things, it's this new journey for you that sounds like I don't know you very well other than this recording, but that that there's thrill in that. It's been very humbling, and I also really like being back in the beginner's mind. So it's really made me pause and take a look at why the jumping presented some challenges for us. I went down, I started visiting Susie Hutchinson down in Southern California, and she's a high-level jumping trainer, but she's also like a horse psychology guru. I mean, she just gets the horses inside and out. And even though she's a jumping trainer, I think she's been to like Olympics and World Cups and stuff like that, but she's a lot like Ray Hunt in her approach. Mm -hmm. So it's really sort of brought me back full circle of returning to understanding my horse and, you know, finding another teacher that really helps me get his psychology. You know, sometimes our training challenges with our horses come up for a reason, right? And it's really helped me revisit like his mental wellness, my mental wellness. Where are we at in our relationship? All of that. So we are now jumping clear and we can go over everything on cross country, which is nice. And we've also just both taken a deep breath with each other again, so. Do you ever think about or wonder what life would have been like if you continued being a trainer? I'm sure I would have found great space to love it long-term because I truly do, like the horses just I'm so honored to have them as a part of my life, but I knew that I was meant to do multiple other things. So, you know, I've bought and sold horses, I've been a horse chiropractor, I've managed horse facilities, really worked in all areas of the horse world. Like I've done everything from training, cleaning stalls, hauling horses, the whole thing. But I always knew that also I was going to do something that was more like in, in human culture. And that's what the water's really been. And if I were a horse trainer, I wouldn't be able to also like up and go visit Springs in Oregon or, you know, travel across the country for a bottled water conference or something like that. So being a horse chiropractor and just riding my own horses has given me the flexibility to do other things. Has there been any hardships with starting the bit butter? My entire kitchen got coated in shea butter. <laughs> Just from and making it at home? <laughs> yeah, I make it in my home kitchen. Um, what I do is I'll just I'll put some music on and I'll spend a whole weekend and I'll make like a thousand of them in a weekend. And my entire, literally, there will be shea butter and mango butter everywhere. It's not the worst thing. I know. It's, it's <laughs> probably smells good too. It's hilarious. And I, yeah, I found that um, Simple Green, that biodegradable mm -hmm. cleaner, that cleaner mm -hmm. cleans it up really well. So. Yeah, it smells good. Yeah, I just let the whole place get really messy, and then I spend like a solid two hours cleaning my whole kitchen with Simple Green at the end. But yeah, I just I just kind of make a party out of it, and I'll just sit there and, and I just turn some music on and enjoy the process and just really try to infuse it with some good intention, positivity. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Do you want to talk about your, because it's relatable to a lot of people, your experience evacuating when you first moved to Sonoma County? Yeah, when I, I, I left Woodside and when I moved up to Sonoma, I got a house and a little rental house and it was right in the fire zone of the 2017 fires and my horse moved to a local barn and I was just gonna settle down up here long term. I was there 21 days and then all of a sudden the fires came through and my horse had to be evacuated, my house had to be evacuated. I know plenty of people and I have tons of friends and you know, could have gone and stayed with somebody but I evacuated my horse to, to somewhere down in Marin County. Um, actually to Tanya Vicks, she took me in. She's over in, uh, uh, in Novato on the 101. And um, because my horse was there, then I went and evacuated my house. And I didn't know anybody up here. And I only had had a few things in the fridge. And I had just dumped a ton of money into my water business. So I was low on cash. And there was no power at my house. There was no water at my house. And it was technically in an evacuation zone. I got stuck in my horse trailer on the side of 101 and I didn't want to leave my horse because everybody from the barn, a lot of them were out of town and Tanya was traveling. So I'm stuck on the side of the 101 with just what I have in my horse trailer tack room. Not much money, all the hotels were full and I didn't know anybody up here to stay with. So yeah, that was kind of rough. It turned me into somebody that wants to be uber prepared for emergencies and we're actually right now sitting in an Airstream that I have now. Yeah, you have a home away from home. Yeah, those experiences, we talked a bit about this before recording, but those experiences really shape who you are and how you, like the plan that you have. I mean, at least at the time you had your own horse trailer and could bring your horse and it sounds like you had a safe place to go to and all of that, but yeah, I mean, nowadays there's no excuse. We have to have an evacuation plan, no matter where you board or what you, where you are. Well, and it's also made me sensitive about resources as well, like making sure I have back stock of whatever I would need financially or actual resources like toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, you know, enough of my favorite tortilla chips and chocolate bars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's exactly yeah. what you have on the table right now, so it probably is your favorite thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, favorite raw pumpkin seeds are up in the cabinet there in the Airstream. But yeah, it's amazing how you go through these experiences where literally, you know, momentarily, for a week in time, uh, the floor falls out from underneath you. And for me, I kick into survival mode, and it, it's made me be more aware of making sure that I can always provide for myself and everybody else around me. Oh, do you take on the everything else around you or everyone else around you as well? Oh, hands down. There's an emergency <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, there's, a, I'll call my friend. And you know, I know so many people in the horse world from being a chiropractor that I'll start calling people and be like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you want me to come down with a horse trailer? Do you need an Airstream to stay in? I have an Airstream fully stocked. You'll eat, there's enough food in it for two weeks, you know? And I'll, I just start making phone calls and, you know, 95% of the time people are like, we're fine, Amanda, we're fine. I'm like, okay, I just, I want to make sure. Is it because you were in that moment of not knowing who to rely on or having somewhere to go? Yeah, I want to yeah. make sure nobody else ever gets stuck in that situation again. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a big believer in networking and knowing people and being able to, I have no problem asking for help when I need help and, you know, people that want to help will and people that don't won't. Well, and also that being in the expanded viewpoint of seeing other people as an extension of yourself, that like we really are one. We're residing on this planet Earth together, right? And, you know, we might be individual organisms, like your body is separate from my body. We're two like distinct individuals, but we really come from the same life force, right? And there's a, everybody's composed of 90% water, everybody's composed of the same like cells and proteins right biologically this is what bodies are made of you Mm -hmm. know which is actually not that different than the cells and proteins that make up my dog over there right Mm -hmm. and like there really is a lot of unity in human consciousness and also when you can tap into seeing other people as the same as yourself i feel like it helps you be more well. And so being in that mindset of taking care of each other, it's, yes, it's about community building, but it's also more of like a mentally well place to live this lifetime from. Yeah, I think keeping in mind, I think that's something, we talked about this before the recording too, but like, we're all doing the best we can and trying to build a community of positivity, not necessarily, you know, there's all those those people that say, oh, the horse community, it's so judgmental or it's so hateful and blah, 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 which yes, there are some people like that. We all know or have experienced people like that, but there's also such amazing people in this community. Women, men, we're all just trying to do the best we can. We're all just trying to survive. We're all just going through our traumas and our hardships and our happy times and our horrible times all in different moments, right? Hopefully we don't, I mean, COVID kind of brought that. We're like, we were all going through something catastrophic all at the same time and not knowing what to do. But yeah, I think, I think keeping in mind that like, we're all here just doing what we can to continue. And as long as we all try to be gracious and have gratitude during that process, then it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful how you express that. And also just when you can stay in that mindset of gratitude and being in a a space where you're creating connection it helps other people be in that space too yeah even if they're not in that space in that exact moment they might go home and they might have whether it's in traffic or whatever where someone gets pissed off they might go home and process but because you stayed in a mindset like that they might go home and process and be like wow that was really inspiring that even while I was yelling at her she stayed cool calm and collected Mm -hmm. maybe I should try that we're all just trying to make it I know (laughs) isn't this like being human is such a trip it really is (laughs) and we only have you know x amount of time so let's go into the question so what is Mm -hmm. something within the community that you want to see evolve or change and then how can you help with that if you're not already The horse world can be so divided amongst disciplines and breeds and, you know, what type of tack you use. And the biggest thing that I try and teach and that I I would like to continually embody more is just seeing all these disciplines, breeds, this and that is, is very 
surface ways of delineating things on the outside and that really the connection between a human's heart and a horse's heart is so healing. It's this deep evolutionary bond and that despite all of the things that might appear a certain way on the outside that that becomes the core tenet of how the horse world is identified. You know, what it sees in itself, how it's seen from the outside, is that it's really about this bond that happens, the two hearts. The change that I would like to see is that that's more broadly understood. And really it's just up to each person to sort of live that and energetically show that in the way that they are with their horses. And a lot of people are already there, you know? And I just hope that that, that part of the horse world just continues to grow stronger and stronger and larger and larger. Yeah. Rather than seeing division, seeing unity. Yeah. Yeah, and I think something that comes to mind is, you know, with you seeking Ray Hunt or different clinicians like that, there's more clinicians popping up that kind of have that idea and are trying to teach that or bring that to the community. And I think, not that it starts with them, each individual is, you know, responsible for their own part in that. But I think it's really cool to see that some clinicians and trainers are starting to also be in that realm yeah. of things. Cool. And then lastly, you get to ask me one question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're such a, an expert at facilitating deep communication. Thank you. Um, what is it that you would like people to most know about you? You're so good at bringing out other people's stories. Like, can you share, like, what is deeply ingrained in, in who is Shauna? That's a really good question. That could come out. Yeah. I think it's funny because my mind wants to go to, like, my project with the podcast or this or that instead of me. At a young age, I always really liked watching documentaries, like really hard to watch documentaries about like girls in Africa getting raped or different things like that. And just kind of like noticing the hardships that people go through and reflecting on like, yes, my upbringing, again, similar to what you said, where like it wasn't the easiest, it also wasn't the hardest, but it, there were hardships involved. And to remind myself that there's always a story that's going to be harder than mine and also easier, but I always had this mindset of reflecting reflecting and understanding someone else's journey and trying to understand why I am the way I am or why they are the way they are and kind of picking that apart. For a while when I went to school, I did want to be a therapist and I wanted to specifically focus on family dynamics because I think it's fascinating and I think family dynamics is truly the core of why we are who we are, because that's your first, right, introduction to your upbringing is your mom or your dad, if whoever raised you, whoever the family that you were in. And so I think through all the hardships, and it's funny, I don't have a lot of memories in terms of even like a few years ago, my mind kind of compartmentalizes and I think it has to do with upbringing stuff, but I journal a lot, so that helps. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think something that I want to make sure people know about me is that 
I'm forever learning just like everybody else. That's something a friend of mine and I talk about a lot and kind of a quote we use a lot, forever learning. You know, we we all get in these moments of ego or we all get in these moments of thinking we're the shit or thinking we're really cool or thinking we know a lot or trying to preach or whatever. But in the end, we're all forever learning. Whether you want to take on something new or you're still learning but learning slower than everybody else in the class or whatever it is. And so I think that, and then again, like I am such a believer of networking. One of my favorite things about myself is I love having people to refer. So like if someone's Mm. like, hey, do you know a chiropractor? And I'd be like, oh, I know this person, they're awesome. Or, hey, do you know an herbalist? I know this person. And I love having like this broad network of people to where when someone asks me, I can throw out people's names and be like, hey, like, I know of this person, but I've never actually used them, but here's their number. So I don't even know which avenue to go, but I think, I think especially in the last six years, I went through a breakup in 2020, and that person was also in the horse world, and, you know, some people know him. It wasn't a bad breakup in terms of we're still friends, but it was a bad breakup in terms of I focus so heavily on his life and his kids and what he was doing and his business and all of that that I had no idea who I was when we broke up. And I had to find a new place to live because the house we were living in was more expensive than I could afford and blah, blah, blah. And I had just started my PEMF business. And I had no idea who I was, what I wanted in life, I was in survival mode. From the moment he and I started our relationship to the seven-ish years later, I had no idea. And so the past, I think it's been from 2020, so three years, I feel like in these three years I've grown the most out of any part in my life and it's because I was by myself. I was alone, I was independent. I was alone but not lonely, like there are two very different things. Yes. So I think, I think just taking the time to understand who I am and what I want out of life and not focus on, and this is something I'm focusing on my new relationship, is not putting all of my efforts and energy into this other person, continuing my own path, but that that person just simply is an added bonus to what I already really enjoy in life. So that's a really wide, broad thing, but I think just knowing myself and continuing to get to know myself and yeah, I don't know if that even answers your question. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like part of what you were saying is that you are your journey Mm -hmm. and that's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, and I think showing up with who I am, like I'm not in the dressage community. I'm not in the hunter jumper community. I am Shauna Burke and I go trail riding with my horse I sometimes do clinics or I do but I'm not one person one place and another person another place and I think that's why I'm able to talk to as many people as I am is because I'm just here and goofy or weird or fun or whatever you know I just show up that day like today I have a little bit too much coffee in me right now because I have my second coffee in front of me of the day but yeah just like showing up with who we are, you know? So, cool. Good question. I love that. Um, well, thank you for chatting with me. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation, Shauna. You're just like, 
so bright mm. and how you create a really open space to talk. And cool. Like, I'm just really thankful for experiencing that. Thank you for that feedback. It takes practice. It wasn't always this way. <laughs> <laughs> you do you well. Thank you. <laughs>